0: up, guys. This is Nate and Nick, uh, to the host with Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation in all life. And with us, we have Cheryl Marshall and Caroline Neuheiser with us um, to be talking about a new book that they just came out with. So Nick, you want to take over since you uh, know a little more?
1: Yeah, sure. So just to get us started, the book is called When Words Matter Most, Speaking Truth with Grace to Those You Love. Um, Before we dive into the contents of the book and go through that, uh, what I'd like to do is just uh, hear a little bit about our two guests, the authors of the book. Um, So Cheryl, if you want to get us started, and then we can jump over to Caroline.
2: Sure. So I'm Cheryl, and um, I'm originally born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and we made our way around the country a little bit, and in 2008, my family, or my husband and I and our kids, we moved to Texas and I am married to Philip. We've been married for 27 years and he is a professor at Houston Baptist University in biblical languages and also the associate associate pastor for adult education at our church. And we have three children, 22, 16 and 16 and a daughter-in-law on the way next year. And I am a pianist by trade but currently I serve as the director of women's ministries at our church and I love that. So that's a little bit about me. So I'm awesome. Caroline, Caroline Neuheiser.
3: Um, I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, but have lived in the Middle East and in Escondido, California. And now I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I, um, have been married to Jim for 42 years, and our oldest son is 39, and then we have a 37-year-old and 33-year-old. Yeah, so three sons. We um, moved out to Charlotte where Jim is a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. He's a director of the Biblical Counseling Department and teaches practical theology in the preaching classes. And I'm the Associate Coordinator for Women's Counseling at RTS
1: Charlotte. That's really great. Thank you guys so much for going over that with us. And I personally, we've had Jim on the podcast before. It was a really great episode. Very thankful for him and all he's done. Um, I personally know you guys. you uh, You've you helped us raise our kids a little bit when they were younger before we moved uh, away from Charlotte, North Carolina, which we miss. And um, but it's such a blessing to have you guys here. Uh, now, your book. If you jump to the back of the cover, uh, it says, "In when words matter most." In when words matter most. Sorry, Cheryl Marshall and Caroline Newheiser encourage and guide women to speak God's truth into the lives of those they love and who are in need. And the interesting thing about that is this is a book that's aimed at women, it seems. However, if you open the open the cover, uh, both Cheryl and Caroline, uh, you wrote that the book is to your husband. So the dedication to the book, you both wrote to your husbands, uh, which is interesting, I thought, because it is a book written for women, but you wrote it to your husbands. And I just, uh, before we jump into the more questions on the content of the book, would you mind just going over, you know, if it's a book to women, why is it dedicated to your husbands?
2: I'd love to hear what Caroline's answer is.
1: <laughs> Sorry, this one's this one's out of left field. So
3: No, no. I thought Jim was the best example of someone who uses words and speaking truth with grace to those he loves, both in his profession. He was a pastor for um, 30 years plus, and now um, as a, professor. So he was my example. He's my inspiration. And he, I'll just say that a lot of women um, are writing books, but both Cheryl and I had our husbands go through this book over and over and over again. So our husbands had a big part to play in it.
2: Yes. And so um, with my husband, as I say here in the dedication, Philip, who has devoted his life to speaking truth with grace. Uh, He is a professor um, for biblical languages, and he works with undergrad students. He works with seminary students, graduate students. And uh, when it comes to the biblical languages, it's not just learning the language with him, but it's really learning the scriptures. And um, I see that he is very much a peacemaker and and very, um, I think, a good teacher and um, just, a, I think, an inspiration to many and all, also that he teaches at our church. Uh, but as I think back to this book, um, our husbands really encouraged us to do this. They encouraged us to not give up at one particular point when we thought we might, um, but they kept encouraging us that we had something to say and that we could say it. So um, uh, we are very appreciative to them.
1: That is, that's really wonderful. And you know, I've been married for almost ten years, and I, you know, hear about your marriages, and I hope that my wife can say that about how I support her. You know, when uh, in ten years, and twenty years, and thirty years, you know, however long it may be, because I'm sure when they listen to this, and I hope they do, uh, they'll be they'll be really blessed to hear that. I know I would be. Um. So before we jump into it, Nate, do you have any questions?
0: Uh, I I was just going to hop in and say, um, yeah, I hope the same for me as well with my wife. (laughs) But other than that, yeah, go ahead, Nick. We can get on with the questions.
1: All right. So uh, just to start us off, softball question, what led you guys to write the book, When Words Matter Most?
2: Well, a few years ago at my church, I was teaching fundamentals of the faith, and I actually to the women um, who would sign up for that. And actually, I taught several semesters of that. And usually, at the first meeting of each semester, I would ask the women, you know, why are you here? Why'd you sign up for the class? You know, share about yourselves and whatnot. And usually, there'd be at least a couple women who would say, "I'm taking this class because I want to learn." the scriptures better so that I can share it with my fill in the blank. So share it with my sister-in-law, with my neighbor, with my daughter, someone in their life who was struggling spiritually. And I heard that several times. And then uh, that started getting me thinking, Hmm, women, women are wanting to feel equipped in this area of their lives. And then one day in the church hall, someone stopped me, a woman stopped me and said, "Uh, my daughter-in-law recently had a miscarriage and she's terrified that if she gets pregnant again, that she will lose another child. And the woman asked me, she says, is there anywhere I can go in the scriptures to encourage her? And so we stepped aside and we looked at a passage and we talked through that. And I walked away from that thinking, wow, yet she still um, feels inadequate to share the scriptures in this way. And so uh, that really inspired me to come up with these ideas. And then I contacted Caroline and we went on from there.
1: That's really awesome. I mean, uh, as far as the encouragement piece, we've actually been through the same thing twice. And um, having somebody who can come in and speak truth into into that tragedy is
2: mm-hmm.
1: just um, such a needed grace.
2: So. Yes,
1: uh, Carolyn. And we, we don't have to have each of you answer every question if you want. If you want to, by all means, Carolyn. Did you want to uh, give any input on that, or
3: I would just add that. I have been involved in biblical counseling for quite a long time, so people come to me with problems, and I know some of these women just need discipleship. They just need a mom or an older woman or a friend to talk to them instead of, um, you know, I'll take the very, really difficult cases, but I'd rather women minister to one another um, in a Titus 2, 3 through 5 fashion so that They are equipping each other because I'm limited on what I can do. And that's also the calling the Lord has for us.
1: You know, and it's funny because when we talked with Jim, I mean, I I know you guys personally and I've, I've seen you live and I've seen, I've kind of watched you do counseling, but I never had a conversation with you or Jim about what counseling is. And when we actually did the podcast with him, he, the, the kind of. Easy answer to it was biblical counseling is primarily discipleship, and um, you know what a blessing it is because, as you mentioned in the book, you know we don't always think of ourselves as counselors because we're not you know accredited through a ACBC um, or any organization, but it's a ministry the Lord's called us all to to um, do the very things that you have in this book that we'll be jumping into in a. In a moment here so that's great
2: yeah we really wrote this book for the woman in the pew this wasn't written particularly for counselors for biblical counselors I, I think there's things that they could probably be encouraged by and glean from the book but really this is for the woman who maybe has not even heard the term biblical counseling um, but she um, sees people in her life that she cares about she loves them but she may see them struggling spiritually in some way and she desires to help them and so our goal was to encourage her in that task and also to help equip her to do it well and um, that was really our focus as we wrote the book
1: that's awesome and I mean there aren't many books like that are there
2: no there aren't (laughs) <laughs> and I think that might be why they took our book idea and said, run with it. Uh, That's right. Because we, because we haven't done this before. Um, but I think by God's grace, this was a, a helpful topic that needed to be discussed on that level.
1: Yes. Awesome. So, jumping to the book's title here when words matter most, why are words powerful? Or do you think that words are powerful and, and why?
3: I like that question because it makes us define why we chose the title, (laughs) but, you know, when you think about why words are powerful, I am reminded of um, God spoke the creation into being, you know, that's the first words, actually, and then we see Jesus was the word incarnate, and then we have all these exhortations in the book of James 1 through 11, chapter 3, 1 through 11, where he's like the word is powerful, the tongue is powerful, and it's a very small thing that can turn, it can affect people, and like a rudder affects turning a ship, so that's my response. I like that question a lot.
2: I would, I'd been thinking the same things, especially with the book of James. Um, but another thing that came to mind was when Christ said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we speak, we are communicating from our inner person. and you know, We're communicating what we believe, we, what we think. We're communicating from our motives. And, and so that's very powerful, whether it be for good or for ill. And um, you know, we're communicating to someone else who has a heart. So just being able to share from um, our inner person those things, I think, is very powerful in one another's lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't just, I mean, even from the beginning, I mean, the book is rife with scripture, which is one of the reasons I like it so much. It's not like you just took some vague topic and, you know, wrote about it without citing the word. The word is throughout it all over, and you can see that very plainly. You know, Proverbs eighteen twenty one uh, came to mind for me. Death and life are in the t- in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Um, you know, and there's a lot of power in that in the tongue, uh, just like you guys were saying. And then even Ephesians four twenty nine, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And I hope that uh, hope that all the words on this podcast do just that. Um, so we'll kind of walk through the book a little bit to get an overview for the listeners. So in the introduction of the book, you discuss specifically how the, how COVID and living in this crazy time affects society and how people long for voice to voice communication, even though we live in the age of social media. Uh, Can you explain why that is and any takeaways that the average person can use to inform their day-to-day life?
2: Well, um, I might be speculating a bit, you know, I I don't, um, I don't know all the whys of that. Um, but I think when COVID first hit, um, people were immediately wanting to be surrounded by the familiar because there was so much upheaval and unknown and it was scary for people. So I think, uh, being with the familiar sort of like a turtle pulling into the shell, You know, I want to hear the voice of someone who loves me and someone whom I love, Um, you know, the just holding that phone, something simple and being able to hear someone at the other end that they that they love. Um, So I think, you know, I don't know all the what's going on in the mind of people for all of that, but I just think people wanted the familiar and what was comfortable and the phone did that and, and talking with people that they care about. And so I think people just needed reassurance from others and just that encouragement. I,
3: that's a great answer, Cheryl. Um, I'm also reminded of something Jim often talks about is that Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, the book of Romans says in chapter 111, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So even though Paul had written a letter, he wanted to be there. And that's how we are. I think that describes people.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And you can't do virtual church. There is no real thing. I mean, when the pandemic first rolled out and a lot of places were scrambling to figure it out, I mean, that was the best that some places knew to do. And, you know, but I think that anybody who experienced that kind of, you know, uh, virtual fellowship, if you could even call it that, which you can't really, but um, you feel the longing and the need to be with the church. and And you start to feel that that we're built for it. And we need that contact, like you're saying, and it's so helpful. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for that. Um, also reading the book, I think it was in the first chapter. Uh, it You go over a lot of information, but I couldn't help but think of a video I saw online once where uh, I think maybe a lot of our listeners will have seen it. A woman is sitting there with probably a guy who's her husband, and she's starting to tell him about how she's having a very difficult time with something. And then the camera pans over to her face and you see a big nail sticking out of her forehead. And uh, he kind of looks at it incredulously and he starts to listen. And he's like, I think it's the nail. And she said, you're not listening. You're not listening. And, and she um, she kind of goes on to push him away, push that line of thought away. And he listens a little bit more and then he tries to fix it again. And uh, she she gets upset with that. And I think that in the world we live in today, there's so much of that mentality where um, you hear about husbands and wives where husbands are trying to fix the problem instead of listening and all these things. It's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I'm just curious for you guys, you talk about the need for godly friends to be actively speaking truth into the lives of believers. What does the Bible have to say about our listening and our speaking? Is there a healthy relationship that we should have between being an active listener and being a godly advice giver that maybe you could have given some advice to those two people to help them out?
2: Well, I think of the verse in Proverbs 20, actually verse five, the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And I learned that lesson. Um, I mean, I've been learning it for years and years. You never stop learning it. But I remember a particular day years ago when I was actually observing Jim Newheiser doing some counseling. This was probably 20 years ago or so, and it was the first time I had, had observed him do that. And I was shocked at how little Jim spoke, and that he just listened and listened and asked more questions and more questions and listened, listened, I think the entire hour and just said a little bit at the very end. And of course we talked about that afterwards, but it was so instructive to me how important it is to really listen well. And as we say in the book, to listen for understanding. So there's one particular chapter where we talk about the conduct of a gracious friend. And one of those things is that she's a listener And we really hone in on the point that it's important that we listen for understanding, because if we don't understand where she's coming from, then we may completely miss the mark when we start talking. And so when we give um, a biblical response and um, encouragement or exhortation, whatever it may be for her situation, we want to make sure that we have the right medicine, in a sense, for the right ailment. And we won't know that if we jump to conclusions or make assumptions about what she's going through.
3: That's right. And we're gonna talk about another passage that says that in James, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And that's what we wanna emphasize. We wanna make sure our book is not used as a, a forum for lecturing people we want it to be with speaking truth with grace to those you love and first Corinthians 13 one says if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal it's just noise to people so that's one of our emphases in our book
2: yeah I think you know, I think back in my own experience, one of the most painful things that can happen is when you're going through a, a really hard time and some something difficult in your life and you've gone to someone for help and then they start talking and you realize they don't get it. They don't even understand what's going on. I mean, that sort of compounds the pain. And so as Caroline said, we want to speak with graciousness, with loving kindness. And one of those ways we can love our friends and family is just slowing down and hearing them out and listening to what they have to say.
1: Awesome. What are the three goals that we should have towards our friends in Christ and why are they important? Well,
3: we like your question because we've dwelt on that for a while. We're looking at Ephesians Three. Oh, what is it, Cheryl? Three. Oh, four. Ephesians four. Mm-hmm. 4, 13. Okay, so this is what God has done for the church. He's given us all these different jobs. And in 12, it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. And here are the three goals until we all attain to unity of the faith, knowledge of the son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. So we need, don't we need unity today? I mean, I think this question is great because it focuses us on what we really need. We need unity, but it's unity of the faith. And it's how we know God or know Christ, the knowledge of the son of God, And that brings maturity when we act on that knowledge of who Christ is.
2: Yes. And so that unity of the faith is not the experiential response we have towards Christ. When it talks about the unity of the faith here, it's the unity of sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. So one of the goals of our Christian relationship is that we encourage one another to grow in our understanding of the scriptures and to sound teaching Um, because as we grow with, as we grow in our understanding of scripture, we will become more united together as we follow Christ in that. Um, and as Caroline said, with the knowledge of the son of God, it's not just merely the facts, but knowing Christ, knowing him in a relationship of trust and love and obedience. And so when someone's going through a rough spell, a a difficult time, Are our words, are our conversations pointing her back to Christ? Are we redirecting her to him and his goodness and his promises and his care? Um, And even maybe his commands to her in the midst of that. Um, And then, as she said, the Christ-like maturity, just that we are, we've been saved into a body where we are together. And God's purposes, one of his purposes in, in that is that we encourage one another to grow in Christ likeness.
1: You know, and I, I didn't plan to say this, but just listening to you guys talk about it, it and the unity of the faith that, you know, coming into pure, doct- pure doctrine and, and understanding those things properly, I read an article and I, I don't want to get political. I don't want to get anything like that. But, um, you know, T4G is a conference that I've gone to before that I've loved and, um I read an article recently where I forget the author, but they said this is this would be the last T for G. And they and they mentioned that there was a a breakdown in the unity of the reformed faith. And that, you know, a lot of people are seeking unity among political and other things, and they're finding unity there instead of, you know, in the faith. And when you just look around our world today, I mean, it's the end of 2021, just in case somebody's listening to this years later, you can just see the world and specifically, unfortunately, Christendom just be fractured over so many different things. And, and your call, the biblical call that you're echoing here um, for unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and Christ-like maturity is just so important. And, and I just hope that we are all striving to that, that we're not trying to erect all these things to divide over, but that we are seeking that unity around Christ in his word. Um, and, and it's just such a wonderful, refreshing thing to read in an age of disunity and splintering and fracturing, even, even in the church. So
2: yeah, it
1: was a really good chapter.
2: Well, if I can just bring it down, you know, we think a lot of times of the larger cultural Trends and issues going on. But when we think about it in Ephesians, that Paul was writing to local churches, he was writing to a local church there. And so sometimes we can think, oh, there's these huge doctrinal issues floating all around, really big out there. But really, what we need to be focusing on is in those personal relationships within our local church. Are we helping our brothers and sisters to know Christ's word? And to live accordingly. So, for example, um, I was recently speaking with a, a younger woman at our church who um, had been exposed to universalism, and it was freaking her out. And she was, you know, questioning, "What is it? What is that? And what what do we believe? What does the Scripture say? What do I believe?" You know, and I, you know, after we'd gone through this in the book, I realized, oh. This is one of those examples right here where I'm just helping this young woman, bringing her back to scripture, bringing her into the unity of the faith. And so our encouragement, Caroline and I want to encourage women in particular, men and women, but women in particular with this book to be focused on that, which is right in front of you. It's so easy to look at everything on Twitter and Instagram and say, oh, all the big stuff. Well, we're only going to deal with the big stuff when we're taking care of the little stuff that's right in front of us in our local church. And so again, um, this is for the woman in the pew to say, what can I do to build the body of Christ right where I am in my sphere of influence?
1: That's really helpful. Yeah, thank you. We're told in the scriptures to bear one another's burdens. Can you explain what this means and how can we do this for our friends and how that relates back to our words specifically?
3: Yeah, so that passage is uh, Galatians 6 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, as we explain in our book, is to love one another. <laughs> it's the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So we, uh, as we were saying earlier, we want to listen, but we also want to listen in order to help. And I don't know about men, but I know a lot of women, including myself, will want to repeat back what that person wants to hear. And when we're talking about bearing one another's burdens, it's not even giving platitudes or like it's going to be okay. Or like I've heard somebody say, just keep on trucking on. (laughs) That's not bearing... One another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's we want we want to be the people who offer the hope of the gospel, because the gospel helps us to cope with all these other issues. And sometimes we um, give our personal testimony as bearing one another's burdens, and such as I've been through something similar, or I know how the scriptures helped me in the past. I want to share that with you. That's a way of bearing burdens. And sometimes um, we need to exhort. So some of our book talks about that too.
1: Very good. Um, Cheryl, did you want to add anything to that?
2: Um, I was just thinking of another passage that Caroline and I have thought about quite a bit, and that's First Thessalonians 5.14. And I think it defines a little bit more of, okay, so what does this bearing of the burdens look like? So we talk about admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak. Each of those are different situations, different kinds of burdens. And each of those are different kinds of responses. So you're not going to admonish the weak. you know. That's not what she needs at that point. She needs to be helped. And so we, we go into more of what does that mean? And what does it mean to admonish? What, what does it mean to encourage? Uh, but again, that comes back to the idea of listening, right? You know, we have to really understand where is she coming from. And then from what we've learned from the scriptures, how can, what truth can we share with her that meets that particular burden?
1: That's, that's great. One thing I love, Nate, and I think that you can attest to this too. I think this is our most scripture centric podcast ever. Every time we ask you guys a question, there's always a new verse. And I just think that speaks so loudly about the quality of this book it'd be easy again to write something based on your life experiences you both are you know you you you're so involved in the church you've seen so many things it would be easy just to write a book about stories and experiences but all the principles you're laying down for us are just grounded and rooted they are rooted in revelation if you will so uh yes. it's just really <laughs> encouraging to see yeah.
2: Well, um, that reminds that reminds me of when we actually sat down with the um, marketing team from Crossway um, we had a big meeting on Zoom in the middle of covid. And one of the last things we told them in that meeting um, and, and they were so wonderful to work with. They've been wonderful, um, but they asked us at the end, any other thoughts? And we just shared with them that our goal is not that the reader ultimately hears Caroline and Cheryl but rather that they hear the word of God, um, because that's the whole premise of the book. Ultimately, it's not our advice or your advice that changes a life. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working through his word. And so that was our goal, even as we spoke with the marketing team to let them know that, um, that we really, we really believe it's God who works through his word that changes lives.
1: Amen. Amen. So in the vein of bearing one another's burdens, um, I think we've all been there where we have a friend or even ourselves, you know, because it's not uncommon. But when, when, you know, you see somebody you love who's struggling with a particular sin that just seems to be repetitive, they may have seasons of relief, but it just, it keeps circling back and cycling back. Is there a good way that we can help them bear those burdens when they don't seem to go away?
2: Yes, uh, we actually talk about a person like that and we call her Struggling Stacy. And uh, there's a real interesting verse in Proverbs that says the righteous falls seven times and rises again. And I'll be honest, I don't think I'd seen or I hadn't remembered that verse until we came across it as we were working on the book. But what an interesting little verse that the righteous falls seven times and rises again. And so we all... I believe all of us have something or at some point in our lives have had an ongoing struggle with some sin. And so your question is great as we come alongside one another. So the first thing we would say is uh, remind your struggling friend of God's forgiveness and his faithfulness in the gospel. Because when we struggle with sin, it's often then compounded by the guilt that we've done it again and done it again and done it again. And we need to be reminded that in Christ, we are fully loved and we are accepted in the beloved and that God loves us and we are forgiven in Christ and that he is faithful and that all of his, uh, all the justice has been poured out and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's such a sweet reminder to someone who is struggling. Because she doesn't want to keep on doing it. You know, we're not talking about the rebellious one. We're talking about the one who's struggling and she does want to grow, but it's just difficult. Um, secondly, we would say to then encourage and exhort her with relative, um, not relative, not at all relative, but relevant <laughs> scripture. So what, what is it particular, particularly that she's struggling with? Is it lust? Is it lying? Is it complaining? Is it anger? So where can we take her in the scriptures specifically? What has God said to help her and to instruct her and to teach her um, on those issues in, in his word? And then finally provide intentional accountability. So a struggling friend is usually struggling for a long time. And uh, she needs someone to come alongside her to be very specific with her. Okay, I'm going to hold you accountable. I even said that to someone on Zoom today. Okay, so what you're mentioning to me, I'm going to hold you accountable. Is that okay? And she sort of sheepishly looked at me and said, okay, (laughs) you know, do I really want that? (laughs) Yes. Uh, But, you know, we need to have someone who says, you know, I know what's going on and I love you. I'm not going to blabber this around to everybody in church or anything like that this is between us but i i love you and i just want to help you so i'll i'll check in with you again on this okay so i think that accountability is really helpful to help a struggling friend to overcome what they're dealing with
3: that's yeah you did a great job with that cheryl the only thing i would add is at the end of first thessalonians 5 14 with all these different types of people it says be patient with them all all the types and uh, 15 says see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone so even the admonishment is I'm doing this because I love you like Cheryl said I care about you so I'm going to tell you this as gently as I can but you need to hear it just really patiently and calmly knowing that we are also fellow sinners and Sometimes we have to tell our story of our struggles and say, you're not the only one, We're, I'm a fellow sinner.
1: I think one of the things that most impacted me about um, both you and Jim, Caroline, after having met you and had a meal with you and watching you guys live uh, was just how patient, how patient, uh, you know, you both are with people, and how loving and understanding and empathetic. And I had never been around a biblical counselor before, and I still haven't been around a ton. But I'm willing to bet that the the ones who are really good at it, you know, have that air of compassion and patience and, and peacemaking um, in the way that you do, and Jim does, and Cheryl. It seems like you do as well, and um, it's such a such an important thing and it, and it communicates so much it you know it really provoked me to reconsider how quickly I can be to assume it or judge and um, yeah it was, it was a real encouragement to me just to see you guys live and, and be so loving toward people so it's definitely it's not just in in word guys they really do they really do Aww. live that out
3: thank you for that
1: yeah for sure um why is it imperative and i think i think the word imperative is appropriate and correct me if i'm wrong but why is it imperative that we have a firm grasp on grace and that we adorn our speech with it when giving counsel to others
3: i found a verse for you guys on that <laughs> <laughs> proverbs 15:4 the beginning of that verse says a gentle tongue is a tree of life so the grace is given to help people listen like people don't want to be lectured especially if they're coming to you for help and when we're using our words we want to use them when they matter most when people are hurting and people need encouragement so that is one thing I would say, that we have to also know the grace that we've been given. So, like, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So that's how you can act, because you've also experienced that grace. You're just testifying what God has done.
2: One of the things we thought through was um, exactly what you're asking about here, understanding God's grace. And then how does that impact how we speak? And the idea she was saying is that we really can't be gracious until we have received and understand the grace that we've been given. And so she mentioned there, the forgiveness that God has forgiven us, uh, understanding God's grace in our sanctification, that he is so patient with us and he perseveres with us. And therefore going back to someone like struggling Stacy we can be patient with her and persevere with her because we understand how patient the Lord has been with, with our weakness or our sin. And then um, I know something that Caroline has spoken often about is about uh, God's grace in our future glory. That when we understand the hope we have of eternal life and that God will make all things right, um, helps us to um, speak with hope and with endurance and to direct our loved ones to God's promises. And I think all of that, just as we do that, uh, our friends and family will, will sense the graciousness of God as we speak with them.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to break off here into uh to another question. Um, out of left field what would you say to the person who maybe they have a friend who they want to give counsel to and they either feel they feel inadequate or they feel like a hypocrite like uh, maybe they're struggling with a sin and they feel like they have something helpful for somebody else but you know internally they're like hesitant to speak because they feel like they shouldn't because they're they're a hypocrite you know or something like that like how would you counsel somebody like that? Should they speak that, uh, give words of grace to that person? How, How should they navigate the internal struggle that one may go through?
3: I think that's a realistic question. It's a question any one of us faces if we think, oh, you know, how could I tell a woman to, for example, study the Bible and have devotions and Have a strong prayer life when i've been weak in that area you know i so i appreciate that question i would just say that we can walk alongside one another and that's what i do sometimes uh, with women i'd say you know i have similar struggles and this is what's helped me in the past and even ask for her to pray as I'm also going through the same thing and taking a weak devotional life as an example. Would you pray for me that I can also grow in that area? Because we're all trying to be like Christ. And like Cheryl mentioned a while back, was that the guilt that comes on us when we sin is it can be heavy? And we talk to a lot of women who are just burdened by guilt. But to be able to say, you know, I've I've sinned, but I'm running to the cross, and I, let's run together to the cross, like in Pilgrim's Progress, that we need companions on the way, even as we get caught by giant despair or, you know, uh, go through battles, in like such as in that book, we need to lift one another up, uh, like the Ecclesiastes passage, you know, who who is oh what's that passage where it says two are better than one
1: the threefold cord. They lift
3: each other up yeah
1: i'm
3: not oh, sure which
1: market. yeah yeah
3: so what do you say cheryl about that
2: um a few thoughts come to mind i, I really appreciate the things that caroline just shared and um I think what comes across is the tone by which you speak with someone. It's not a condescending type of tone, um, like you have it all together. Um, Of course, there there may be a time of soul searching for yourself where you have to say, okay, um, is there some sin in my own life that I need to confess and repent of? Um, You know, going back to the log in your own eye and the splinter in your friend's eye, am I dealing with the log in my own eye? but, you know, not, none of us are perfect except our savior. And so if we wait until all of our decks are lined up in a row, then we will never get around to talking to anyone and, and encouraging them. And it was even in the writing of this book, I remember uh, at times uh, feeling like that of, you know, I, I don't live this perfectly what we're writing about. I'm, I'm a hypocrite. And I remember my husband telling me one morning, Cheryl, not a single pastor lives his sermons perfectly. There's not a single pastor who can live out what he's preaching perfectly all the time. And yet they keep on preaching week after week, being faithful with the word of God, laying it before the people. And he basically went on to encourage me to say, you know, you just keep on going back to the scriptures and it's not that Um, you want people again to hear you, but to hear God's word. And again, that's what we're doing in our relationships. Um, Just like Caroline said, we're walking along together and we're just redirecting one another to Christ when we have those opportunities.
1: Awesome. Thank you. How can we be gracious friends to our friends who are struggling in sin when they don't respond well to good counsel? Like if we go to somebody who's struggling, and we are thoroughly biblical, you know, we we've done everything we possibly can. We we prayed for them, we, and we we've just tried to be the best friend we possibly can be. And they respond poorly to it. How can we be a gracious friend at that point?
3: Oh, well, now we're talking real life. <laughs> uh-huh. I think uh, those of us who are doers tend to forget that praying is one of our first steps because it's only by God opening the heart that anybody can come to faith and come to repentance and change. So that would be something to do while we're waiting for the Lord to work, which sometimes it takes patience. Like I've counseled a woman um, for several years struggling with depression and she feels like she's never getting out of it. Well, of course she calls me when she's in the worst moments, (laughs) but um, yeah, just patiently waiting with her, praying with her. Um, Sometimes uh, fasting has a role, is an element there for like people in severe troubles and trials, Um, but you're also recognizing that sometimes people are foolish and not walking in wisdom. And uh, Proverbs 9 tells us in verse 7, what is it? Yeah. Verse 7 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury." So when they turn on you, that can show you where their heart is. So we don't talk about that a lot in our book, but that is what happens sometimes. But instead, we'd like to give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So the you're looking for a wise person to respond Mm
2: -hmm. by God's grace. We have a chapter that's called When Grace is Tested, where we go through different responses that different people may have when we approach them. Um, with biblical encouragement or exhortation, and it, sometimes it depends upon how that person is responding. You know, the, the angry person, you may have a somewhat of a different response to her compared to the person who has become withdrawn um, versus the person, like we mentioned earlier, who's struggling, struggling Stacy, or at the very end, we have rebellious Rita. And so um, what's so wonderful about scripture is that it really does, as you start to dig in, it does address these different types of responses and, and how to encourage them. So there's a lot of different answers to that. Again, seeking to understand your friend, where is she at? What's really going on? Um, of course, we, can't, we don't know the heart, um, but we can um, seek to understand to the best of our ability.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So, uh, we're, we're going as Christians who live in a fallen world and who have, you know, the, the, the old man, the flesh still we're constantly being conformed and changed toward Christ. Um, can you guys tell us how Our words and the scriptures relate to that and I think we've touched on it a little bit uh, on the very beginning with uh, with a few things, but um, if you could just go over that a little bit more I think that'd be helpful.
2: Sure. Uh, As it says in Romans 12 be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that transformation the change in our life comes as we are renewing our minds with God's word um, because we live out of what we believe. We live out of what we think. And so our thoughts need to come into conformity with his. And, and then as we, by his grace, by the Holy Spirit, are walking according to that, um, God begins to work change in our character and change in our conduct. And I love at the end of first, um, 2 Timothy 3.17, where it says it's prof- his word is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training, righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work. So whatever it is that God has called us to in faith and obedience, his word will prepare us for that. Um, I believe it was our pastor, maybe even this past week who was in his preaching was, um, talking about sanctification. And I believe he was the one who was saying, even every time you're listening to a sermon and you're sitting there receiving it by faith, you are in the process of being sanctified. And that's just such an encouraging thing. Um, Sometimes we think that sanctification takes place, you know, between the sermons, but it's even sitting there being washed with the word as um, that's part of the process of our being conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah, um,
3: Cheryl and I have had a discussion recently about what is our favorite verse, (laughs) And that's Philippians 1.6. You know, we're confident that God who began a good work in us will carry it to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Um, Sometimes we need to hear that. So the sanctification is a process. So there's not. We all know it's not instantaneous. Um, And I'd like uh, I looked up sanctification. I found it all over Hebrews 10. and It says. Uh, We have come to do the Lord's will. And by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So it's related to the gospel again. It's not doing things. We're called to obedience and holiness, but it's Christ who does it in us. And uh, verse 14 emphasizes that as well. It's a single offering he has perfected for us. For all time, those who are being sanctified. So that being sanctified is one of the places here in Hebrews 10 where it's telling us it's happening as time goes on. So I think that's one of the hard things for people to learn, especially new believers, when they suddenly kind find themselves struggling again. And they think, well, maybe I wasn't ever saved. So this is where doctrine is important and helps us with those who are being transformed slowly.
1: Yeah, I remember my first year at Bible college, I didn't look like, I was just so immature in the faith and I looked like none of these really godly teachers. And I, I struggled with my assurance of salvation for so long. And once the Lord um, worked that into me very slowly and very patiently, it, it was such a blessing. And I think that that's a, uh, when you when you do come to that assurance of faith and that understanding that just because i don't look like the guy who's been a christian for 40 years that doesn't mean god's not working in me it's such a such a relief and, and a blessing um so that's wonderful so um i'm really excited for my next question because of how everything else has gone in the interview so far um the majority of the second part of the book discusses specific conditions that people may be struggling with through. Uh, how important would you both say it is that the Christian's ultimate authority on defining and addressing these conditions is the scriptures instead of a non-inspired source, such as like a psychological or scientific journal or study? Well, <laughs> I feel I feel a verse coming on.
3: <laughs> you know <nothing>. it. <laughs> I am turning to John 17, 17. And it says, Sanctify them. This is Jesus saying, Sanctify them in the truth. So here we're back to the previous question. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So I think that's a pretty simple answer. Sanctification is happening by truth. So we're saying we have to speak truth to people. And The more I've been exposed to different viewpoints of scientific viewpoints, I realize that that is not a unified group either. You know, all kinds of varieties and philosophies, even of counseling or psychiatry or psychology. So people are seeking truth and there's a lot of common grace and understanding how people work. But thy word is truth and to see the word working in a woman when you read it to her you can see visible changes i've seen that or she'll sigh was like oh yes i needed to hear that it impacts the soul um and peter (laughs) said where else shall we go i mean what other truth is there when he gave his testimony, there is nothing, no other
2: place we can go to find truth. Another thought I have is that uh, psychological and scientific studies can make observations. They can identify patterns and whatnot, but they can't really, they cannot diagnose the heart. Human wisdom cannot diagnose the heart. The Creator, who made the human heart, can diagnose the heart. And so these other uh, these other things may be helpful in just you know sort of categorizing or maybe making an observation, but they are devoid of being able to address spiritual realities. And so. For example, with Ed Welch's book, Blame It on the Brain, this is really super simplifying it. But what I appreciated about that book is him just really driving home the idea that um, identifying physical ailment and dealing with that and then identifying spiritual need and dealing with that. And so um, and God's word is the authority on that because God is the one who's made us
1: and uh we're getting to the very end of the book here and i love the last chapter of your book i love the whole book but the last chapter um probably was my favorite it's titled our confidence to speak and in the chapter you address the most important part of everything we've discussed in the interview this is kind of where the rubber meets the road in, in my mind anyway and that is what confidence do we have that anything we do Will be a blessing to others and the answer that this chapter gives can easily be seen in all the subheadings which i thought was the most interesting part i don't know if you did that deliberately but just when i was looking at it like from a big picture overview if you just check it out it says the subheadings are the lord is and then you say something and then you say the lord has and then there's more text and the lord will And there's this constant theme of the Lord is, the Lord has, the Lord will. It always comes back to the Lord. Can you each briefly speak about the importance of this chapter and why it's the final chapter of the book?
2: Well, we knew this chapter had to be in the book. And it's interesting that you point out, you know, why is it the last one? Originally, we thought it would be the second chapter because we thought straight off the bat, we need to give women the confidence in, in the Lord that they can do this. And then as things sort of laid out, we realized, no, this is the final call. Just as in the beginning of the book, we say, here's the call to speak. Now here's the confidence to speak. Even after a reader has gone through the entire book and she's been encouraged and she's begun to be equipped she may come to this last chapter and still say i can't do it (laughs) i just this is so not me or i am not i don't know enough or i'm afraid or someone's going to be mad at me if i say something just like moses these are all the same concerns that moses had so we just go through moses and exodus three and four and deal with his issues and how they are like ours today And so this was the send off where we wanted to tell the reader, you can do this because it is God who is at work. So even uh, as Paul said, and and I said to some women recently, it's amazing to see what Paul said after he had led so many to the Lord and planted so many churches and been all around the Mediterranean Sea. That he still said this, such is the confidence that we have through tr- Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So here's someone, here's Paul, who we could say, oh, yes, he's adequate. He's, he is able to do his ministry with such power and strength. And even he said, I'm inadequate. It's the Lord who has made me adequate. And so that's the same for us and for our readers. We just wanted to encourage them to know that it is the Lord who provides what is needed for her to speak the truth in love. It is the Lord's promises that we are sharing with others when we speak the truth and love and that the Lord will be present with us when we speak the truth in love. And so the burden of that weight is off of our shoulders the burden of that weight is off the reader's shoulders she is simply bringing before her loved ones god's grace god's truth and saying here feast on this with me and let's eat together and uh, that's where our confidence lies in god and his word bottom line cuz sometimes
3: we can we we flip back and forth we think I can't do this. I can never memorize verses. I don't really know my Bible well enough. Um, So like one of Jim's phrases is how thick is your Bible? You know, how many verses can you use to help somebody? Do you know enough? (laughs) Well, when I, I'm training women in counseling and I say, well, just you start with what really matters to you. What did you read? So you're speaking from your heart. Really, it's not like you have to have a manual, but I, here's something I read in the Bible. It's just really exciting to me. So that enthusiasm and that will get people going when you share your own heart and your own how the Lord helped you with struggles. But then we have these other folks who say, you know, I now want to go out and change people and I know how to fix her and I know how to tell this lady what to do. So we also wanted to emphasize that there's only one Savior, and you are not Him. Amen. (laughs) So Try try to work with both of those, and it's really all all to God's glory. It's all for Him.
1: Well, I don't think your answers could have been any better there. That was wonderful. Um, I have a question that is for everybody. It may seem like it's only for, like, the super Christians who have arrived. Uh, spoiler, nobody has arrived. There are no super Christians. But this is a question for everyone, whether you're an infant in Christ or you're a seasoned believer. How important would you guys say that personal piety, and, and by that I mean your own devotions with the Lord, your prayer life, your private devotions, your family devotions, your corporate worship, all these things, living for God deliberately in all areas of life. How important is personal piety and having a deep well of biblical knowledge from which we can draw to the Christian who is trying to speak truth into the lives of their friends. And you guys kind of addressed this in the last question, but um, do you have any other comments kind of in that vein that you could add or or thoughts on the question?
2: Sure. Uh, One of the things we do talk about is what does it take to provide um, counsel to another person? And what, the first thing we said is a willingness to speak. And so we're assuming we're talking to a believer, that this is the reader is a believer here and that she knows the Lord. But does she have a willingness to step out, a willingness to speak into the lives of those she loves? Secondly, um, does she know the scriptures? So whether she has been a believer for a week or she's been a believer for 50 years. What does she know of God's word? And so, yes, it's important that we're always growing in that and we're seeking to um, learn more and understand more. But even a woman who's been a believer for one week, she has the truth of God and she can share that with someone. And uh, the woman who has known the Lord for 50 years can do the same. And then finally, what is needed after having a willingness to speak and even some knowledge of the word of God is that she has an attitude of love and humility. Is that is she willing to speak as we have been saying with love? And so of course um, uh, the personal piety is important. You know, we should be uh taking advantage of God's means of grace all the time, you know, so that we are growing and walking with Him and also growing in our knowledge of God's word but we are all on a journey of that. And it's so interesting as we're looking there at Ephesians four that Paul really does not qualify who should be speaking the truth in love. He does say it's the pastor teachers and et cetera, who equip us for that. But this is the work, the work of the saints. This is the work of God's people, all of them, not just some of them, whether you're old or young. So I don't know if Caroline has something to add to that. I
3: just I just want to say that was a great answer. I think you know what came to mind was the woman at the well and hmm. she we think of this as an evangelism topic but that woman went back and said I met someone who told me all about myself and she went back and told people with like a minimal amount of knowledge hmm. she told the the villagers And then they came out and met with Jesus, and they said, Well, now it's not just because of what you said, because of what we have seen for ourselves. So the person, the woman in the pew, can meet with Jesus, tell others, bring Jesus to them, live Jesus for them with her personal piety so that they see that Christ has changed her life, but as well to testify just testify of what he's doing like I said the things that are exciting to us that's what we share
1: with others that's very true yeah my family um I did not grow up in a Christian home but uh we love to eat and we would drive like a couple hours to go to a restaurant every now and again because that's just we took a trip for fun and it was usually around a table for food so that's very true um in my own life. I see that now, but, uh, I have, I have one more question for you guys, but I've been a bad host. I've been, I've been a hog. I I've kind of been hogging all the time here. Nate, uh, do you have any questions for, (laughs) for them before I got, before I move on to the last one here?
0: Uh, no, you're not being a hog. Um, I appreciate these questions are great. I mean, I, I'm just kind of getting whooped here a little bit. They're quoting all these verses and stuff, and I'm just getting convicted. Like, man, I got to You know, I gotta get my scripture memory going again because they're lighting it up. So yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, everything you guys are saying is so helpful, even to me personally. And um, this has been a really great just time to listen to both you and um Nick kind of lead through this. So I don't think I have any questions other than just thank you so much, guys, for everything you're saying. I mean, I this is a lot of things I'm considering and thinking and processing, and it's just been super helpful. So thank you both.
2: Praise the Lord for that. Thank you.
1: So we've talked a lot about this in the rest of our conversation. It's kind of undergirded everything we've talked about, really, everything you said, I think. But to close out the interview, I want to ask one question to leave everyone with. We know that we are made in the image of God to reflect his perfections back into the world. And we know that the gospel is the basis of our faith and our hope. How should these truths inform how we approach each and every conversation we have with others? I can repeat that if you want. I know it was kind of a big question.
2: Go ahead Cheryl. As I was thinking about being image bearers that we are all image bearers before the Lord and that we are all um, equal before him and that we are to approach one another with love and grace and not with condescension and that as we are growing in Christ we're becoming to see we're becoming to look more and more like Christ and in God's plan he has saved us to walk through that together to become more like him together he hasn't saved us to walk alone but to be conformed to Christ's image side by side and so god values every single one of us we are made in his image and now we have been recreated as new creations to now bear the image of Christ and he's given us to one another, given us to one another to help us to do that and the basis of that as you said is the gospel without Christ's death and resurrection and perfect life for us, none of this would be possible. And so as the song says, he is our hope and life and death. And so we are continually pointing one another to him and to his truth.
3: I would. Amen. uh, Yeah. I like that. Cheryl. I would also say that, um, It seems sometimes that the cross is foolishness, seems to the world, that speaking of the cross and speaking of the Bible, how the Bible guides us is foolishness. But Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, he's trying to establish himself as a authority for them. But he also says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's really what we're trying to do. And we sometimes feel weak and foolish and out of sync with society, but we also know the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So our message is powerful and strong and will enact change as we love those around us.
1: This has been a wonderful episode. Thank you both so much for coming. Um, and hopefully next time when you guys write a book, we'll have you back on and we'll get to talk some more. Um, but before we let you go, uh, is there anything that uh, you, either of you, both of you would like to say to to our listeners um, that you think may be helpful or edifying to them before we close out?
3: I I would just say for our sisters in Christ that we should be unafraid to share the word of truth. Um, even with people who may seem resistant, sometimes the resistant ones are just the most troubled and need a loving person to talk to. And I'll also emphasize that there's a small part of our book talks about sharing truth with the unbelievers around us so don't be afraid to speak up and say what that truth that's changes lives to those who are unbelievers and be a testimony that way to them and
2: show the light that you're walking in to them and the th- last thing i think i would just mention is uh, just to reiterate something we talked about near the beginning of the podcast. And those are the goals of our Christian relationships. When we really take those to heart, that God has given us to one another to grow in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God and in Christ-like maturity, when those become embedded in our thinking and in our purpose of interacting with other people, with other believers, that will really change what we say and that will change often how we say it. It doesn't mean that every conversation we have is some sort of spiritual conversation, but it does mean that there's an undergirding under under these uh, relationships that we have that we realize that these relationships have eternal importance, eternal significance. And it's it is a blessing it's a gift from the lord for us to understand that and then to speak into others lives based upon that
1: it has again been an honor and a pleasure to have you both on the podcast here again this is rooted in revelation with special guests special guests cheryl marshall and caroline newheiser Uh, Definitely pick up their book, When Words Matter Most. It is available now, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Rooted in Revelation.